New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Today I'm hosting Reverend Jennifer Butler, author of Who Stole My Bible? Reclaiming Scripture as a Handbook for Resisting Tyranny. I'm speaking with Reverend Butler at her home by remote connection. Welcome, Jennifer, to the New Dimensions Cafe. It's so exciting to be here. Thank you. It's great to have you. You know, you have studied scriptures in the Bible with an eye for the liberative story arc from Genesis to Revelation and have found umpteen examples for faithful strategies to resist tyranny grounded in scripture. So tell us, what moved you to study scripture yourself rather than take the word of what was being preached from the pulpit? Well, growing up in the Deep South in the 80s, I was a white Christian in a fairly affluent area. And yet when I read scripture, I saw a Jesus who was saying, I've come to bring good news to the poor and freedom to the, the oppressed. And I saw him hanging out with the margins of society. Now, as a teenager, I could relate to that. I felt like, now here's a person who will get me because I was a total nerd. I felt very outcast myself. So on a personal level, I thought, okay, here's, here's a God who sees me. Here's you know, somebody who would be compassionate toward me. But more importantly, I was also grappling with the state of the world. We were at the height of the nuclear arms race. Every day people were talking about our, our power to destroy ourselves through nuclear weapons. I saw racism in my community despite lift service to having um, you know, become a new South. And um, I saw Jesus as having very much something to say to that. And so I committed my life to Jesus. And yet in my church and in my community, I didn't hear that Jesus preached. And I saw a lot of Christians in the South getting galvanized around one particular political party. And that also didn't make sense to me. That felt like idolatry. There were questions I had of both political parties. So I spent years and years trying to find a community or find the words to express this Jesus that I was getting to know. And it took many, many years to find Jesus. Um, I was fortunate to go to seminary. And when in seminary, um, I was really awed at what I was learning. It helped me define my faith and articulate my faith. Years later, I was working for the Presbyterian Church and I was teaching workshops on women's rights. And I began to match that up with theology and biblical studies. And I remember a woman looking at me and saying, does my pastor know this stuff? I was teaching feminist theology. Does my pastor know this stuff? And I was like, yes, your pastor knows this stuff. Then why isn't my pastor teaching me this? <laughs> I was teaching a feminist hermeneutics or the ability to understand um, scripture through the lens of uh, feminist biblical critique and inquiry. And they were, they were so hungry for it, but it had never been taught and never been preached from the pulpit. And so it took me many years to um, find the words and to understand the Bible the way it should be understood. 
I'm just thinking, and you you really point out in your book, there are many women who were leaders, who were the first to really understand what was going on. I mean, uh, the 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 one we we all know the story that uh, Jesus after resurrection he he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, and even when she went to tell the other uh, disciples that oh Jesus lives, he is risen, they said get out of here. <laughs> Can you describe that? Yeah, I love that. You told it so well. You know, it's um, the women rush back and they're like, Jesus is risen and the men don't believe it. And Mary is the, you know, the, the mother of Mary. She chooses to go into partnership with God and to, to have Jesus. And she sings the song that says how wonderful it is to be blessed by God. I'm going to give birth to a son that will cast tyrants off their thrones. You know, so she is preaching already the good news of liberation, of a Jesus who will bring an ethic of love that challenges the Roman Empire. She is a kind of parallel to Miriam in the Hebrew scripture in the book of Exodus, who sings a very similar song, horse and rider were thrown into the sea. She hearkens back to the Red Sea and how God liberated them from Pharaoh. And so in a way, Jesus is the new Moses. And it's women in Exodus 1 who begin God's work of freeing the Hebrew people from oppression, and it's Mary and then the women at the tomb who begin the work of bringing Jesus' message and ethic of love to bring down the Roman Empire. And I think that you bring out also in your book a phrase that is in the beginning of Valerie Carr's book, and Valerie Carr is a Sikh uh, who is a, a religion out of India, and that's spelled S-I-K-H. I've always called it Sikh, but I heard her call it Sikh religion. And she points out that maybe it's not the darkness of the tomb, but the darkness of the womb, and that we're in this transition time. And you mention her in your own book. Are we in a transition time? Is there hope here? I think there is hope, and all hope begins in the imagination which is why I think the Bible is an important piece of literature, whatever your faith. And all faith traditions actually sort of, you know, hearken to this idea that we can create a world in which everybody is treated with dignity. Now, not all people believe this, you know, like the philosopher Ayn Rand, who's followed by many of our elected leaders, she hated Jesus because he was vulnerable. And he said that we should you know, pay attention to the weak and protect the vulnerable. Um, There are people who live by a greed is good philosophy, right? And so the world's religious traditions really teach us that we can create a world free from tyranny and oppression. And when we can imagine a world like that, there is always hope for new life and for birth. And so in this period of darkness, which many of us have thought is the darkness of the tomb. How on earth are we going to get ourselves out of the situation we're in right now? Because of our faith, because of our ability to imagine a different world, because we live in so much darkness that has pulled back the veil on our brokenness and challenged us to do things differently, this is actually a moment that could be a moment of resurrection and new birth into the world. And I am just thinking of the analogy of the caterpillar and the butterfly. Yeah. Like we're in this this part of this metamorphosis when everything liquefies. 
before the imaginal cells come together as a butterfly, the caterpillar actually gives up to such an extent that it liquefies. And that to me is, okay, we're in this transition and there is possibility if we gather together as each of us are this imaginal cell. It's beautiful. With the hope that this might happen. That's right. And I love the birth imagery, right? Because those of us who've had children or been with people who are giving birth, the transition phase is where you lose your mind. You lose all sense of hope. My birth coach told me like one woman, she knew ripped the clothes off her husband and was screaming at him, right? So you really lose your mind and you really can kind of fall into a sense of despair. I know I experienced that. And then there's this movement where your body shifts and you breathe and you push. And so what we're doing now is breathing and pushing, you know, and we have to recognize that we've gone through this period of pain and now we push new life into the world through our solidarity, through our acting in the world together, through hearing the cries of pain from those who are saying the system is broken. Wasn't it wonderful that John Lewis, before he died, the great civil rights activist and representative in Congress from Georgia, and one who got totally beaten up on the Pettus Bridge in Alabama, wasn't it wonderful that before he died, and he knew that he was dying of cancer, he got to go to the Black Lives Matter Park or or Lafayette Park and be there with all the protesters. Do you recall that moment? Isn't that amazing? So here is a man who in this moment, he is dying And almost everything that he had worked for has been eroded. We've had such an erosion in voting rights. Our schools are almost as segregated as they were uh, before the Brown decision. We're, We're rolling back the clock on civil rights. He could have said, what was all of this for? Instead, he goes out to Black Lives Matter Plaza in front of the White House where all the young protesters are. And he sees in their activism the future of America. He writes an op-ed before he dies, and his last words are to us are, in the end, you inspired me. That is the definition of hope and the hope our faith traditions do give us. It's also the kind of hope that inspired Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Boy, have we been through a lot. We lost these two icons just through the fall in the midst of a pandemic and a contentious election year. But think about Ruth Bader Ginsburg also told that she could not practice law. She's top of her class. But instead, she sets out on a career to dismantle thousands of laws that prevented women from attaining their full potential. And she accomplished it. That is what hope is. And that's how we get through the darkness. Exactly. And I I know that you use a a quote from Rebecca Solnit, who's a journalist and a keen cultural observer and author of many books. And I'll read the quote. She says, hope is an embrace of the unknown and the unknowable, an alternative to the certainty of both optimists and pessimists. It's the belief that what we do matters, even though how and when it may matter, who and what it may impact are not the things we can know beforehand. History is full of people whose influence was most powerful after they've gone. I guess this reminds us of be patient. We're such a 
impatient society. We want it now. We want to dial up Amazon and have it delivered the next day. So if we can end this conversation on something about patience and to stay the course. That's right. We are part of a cloud of witnesses, as scripture puts it. You know, we are part of a long lineage of people who have walked the path to justice. And so we walk in the footsteps of our spiritual ancestors who fought for justice. And we know that people will come after us. And that is how we've been in the arc of the universe toward justice. I think in American culture, you're right, we want immediate gratification. And we think that hope means we expect, we we know with certainty, you know, like, oh, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. Oh, it's not going to rain, you know. But hope is not a prediction, said Vaclav Havel, writing from a prison, no less. It's not a prognostication. It's not a prediction. It is an orientation of the spirit. It is a, a commitment to know and to expect and to imagine things can be different and to work for it, not knowing for sure what will unfold, but knowing that that is how the arc of the universe bends toward justice in time. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe one other subject, and you cover this a bit in your book, Lamentation. What is the power of the lament? The lament breaks through what is called the royal reality. Those in power try to numb us to the pain of others. We have so many ways of doing that, shopping till we drop you know, encouraging us to be consumers, to spend and to get that hit from from purchasing something, the opioid crisis, pumping drugs into society, convincing people that things are all fine and good when they're not. And so the practice of lament puts us in touch. It breaks up that royal reality, the, the reality those in power want us to believe that everything is just fine. It puts us in touch with the actual reality, which is that the system is broken. And we're feeling that now, of course, in the midst of pandemic. But there are many who want to say, it's just fine. It's just going to blow over. Everything's going to be okay, you know. So the prophets enabled us to lament. And in doing that, they weren't trying to beat people up, but they were trying to get people attuned to their own reality and to the reality of those around him who suffered. We know through the stages of grief that we have to cry first. We have to let that out. We have to see it. And what I say, you know, at the time I was writing the book, the racial justice uprising was happening. And so I said that it was God that was in the footsteps of those crying in front of the White House. That is where we would begin to heal this nation in listening to those cries and being a part of those cries. And then out of that comes the imagination, the prophetic imagination that things can be different and things can be better for all of us if we learn to love our neighbor and to pay attention to what's broken and seek to fix it. Oh, Jennifer, I want to thank you so much for being part of the New Dimensions Cafe today. I really enjoyed talking with you, Justine. Thank you so much. I've been speaking with Reverend Jennifer Butler, author of Who Stole My Bible? Reclaiming Scripture as a Handbook for Resisting Tyranny. I've been speaking with Reverend Butler at her home by remote connection. If you want to learn more about her work, you can go to Faith in publiclife.org, faithinpubliclife.org, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms, and I want to thank you for joining us at the New Dimensions Cafe. I invite you, please do join us again. 
You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.